Hello, everyone. I wanted to talk about the fact that religion keeps people untrained about life, illiterate about life, uneducated about life, unlettered about life, untaught about life, uninstructed about life, uncultivated about life, unenlightened about life, untutored about life, unschooled about life, unread about life, knowing nothing about life, misinformed about life, disinformed about life, misguided about life, unbriefed about life, inexperienced about life, naive about life, unaware of life, unconscious of life, uninformed about life, unknowing about life, uninitiated about life, unwitting about life, unmindful of life, disregardful of life, unmindful of life, unscientific about life, unintelligent about life, dull about life, shallow about life, hollow about life, empty regarding life. And I've also noticed that Religion keeps people ignorant about life, too. Um, And from what I've studied about the historical individual named Jesus, a lot of the religious right will make statements through their behavior that says that Jesus is anti-knowledge, anti-information, anti-learning, anti-scholarship, anti-facts, anti-wisdom, anti-instruction, anti-book learning, that is not of the Bible. You can't book learn any other book. That's what they'll say about Jesus. They also say that Jesus anti-erudition, anti-culture, anti-data, anti-enlightenment, anti-expertise, anti-intelligence, anti-light, anti-theory, anti-science, anti-principles, anti-philosophy, anti-awareness, anti-insight, anti-education, anti-substance, anti-store of learning, anti-know-how, anti-experience. An anti-refinement, anti-statistics, anti-ratios, anti-mathematics, anti-inventions, anti-history, anti-geography. Those are the statements that they make about Jesus and all of those viewpoints of Jesus are complete
bullshit. Because what rabbi, what Jewish teacher would want their students to not be well educated? And Jesus would not denigrate what is what a lot of church people call worldly wisdom because there are a lot of wise life lessons that worldly wisdom has. And Jesus, the Jewish rabbi teacher, he valued, from what I've read, transcendental wisdom, meaning the type of wisdom that is universal, the type of wisdom that can be well applied anywhere, everywhere, to each and every audiences, to all audiences, right? So that's what he was about based on what I studied. And I figured out in my own heart that I also, when it came to studying Jesus, I figured that Jesus wasn't big on one-sidedness. Jesus wanted to learn everyone's story um, that he encountered based on what I've read. Um, um, based on reading other books about Jesus that weren't in the Bible. I've read the missing books of the Bible. I've read what historians and scientists had to say about Jesus. So that's where I get a lot of information from. Um, and so when it comes to the Bible writers, I've had to admit that they were limited in intellect because of the time they were in. So if they were around today, they would have had more availability to clear up misconceptions about Jesus that the religious right has been uttering. And so people are depicted in literature and it's up to the readers to decide, you know what? I think that they, meaning the writers, mispictured Jesus. And that's how I feel. Um, because when they talked about Jesus also being apocalyptic, it makes me go, well, how can you enjoy life and at the same time you're always thinking about death and you know the belief that God is coming back I don't think Jesus was that big into it I just don't think so because if you're a teacher I'm not saying la la land but at the same time why would you want your students to, to live in paranoia 
why not teach your students, okay, if you truly are living a joyful life, then you shouldn't live in any kind of fear. Because when I've read the Bible, even I don't see Jesus very big on being apocalyptic. What I've read, I'm like, sounds like a man who, yeah, from time to time he talked about, you know, how he was going to die, but he didn't mention it a, a whole lot. He didn't. Um, in fact, he spent most of his time talking about, you know, living peacefully um, and honoring others and um, self-respect and you know he really likes social outings so if you're apocalyptic you, you're not gonna go to social outings so much like he did based on what I read and even I studied the Jesus seminar and even the Jesus seminar came to the conclusion that oh yeah he you know, yeah, he was with the outcasts. He talked with them, ate with them. Um, he was into, um, he was sensitive to medical care and the power of one's attitude that could help aid in the medical healing of a person. So a lot of my information does come from the Jesus Seminar and a lot of information comes from the missing books of the Bible, the Bible, and other books I've read about Jesus. Um, that's how I get all this understanding. Because like, if I'm really thinking the world is going to end, I'm why would I go to a wedding? And why would I enjoy wine at a wedding? And why would I play a role in helping people to enjoy wine at a wedding? It just doesn't make sense to me. I'm just thinking about something that's talking about Jesus like but if you're apocalyptic you're gonna live on the edge of death like all the time you're not going to ever truly have fun you're not gonna be able to truly enjoy your family your friends so um those are the thoughts I have and um another thing I wanted to I wanted to mention um about and another thing I thought about was Jesus according to the religious right is a proponent of discriminatory traditions of all kinds discriminatory policies of all kinds, discriminatory ideas of all kinds, discriminatory schools of thought and quotations of all kinds, discriminatory practices and all, of all kinds, and discriminatory laws of all kinds, and discriminatory institutions of all kinds. And I also call complete bullshit on that because why would any... Why would any kind-hearted teacher would not want their students to be agents of global empathy? 
Why did he socialize with women, children, people with infectious diseases? And why was he a refugee and an immigrant himself? And he was considered to be a black indigenous person of color of his day. Egypt tended to have people who were suntanned. And he may have had relatives in Egypt, Africa, motherland. And the first set of humans are said to be from the motherland. (laughs) So Jesus was not white, wasn't pale. In fact, Jesus was in the sun a lot. And his pigmentation allowed him to withstand the sun. So, I had to think about how is Jesus apocalyptic, but he was out and about in the marketplaces. He was a nature person, Uh, you know, mountains, hills, hillsides and cliffs. And, you know, in the in the pool, you know, with his cousin, John, and that means he allowed natural water to soothe his skin and smooth his flesh. He saw it as a purifier and a cleanser and a refiner. And from what I read about him, he. As a teacher, it makes sense to have a lot of students in these basic ways. That means he had a sense of humor. That means he had a laugh that people liked and they laughed because he laughed. And that means that he had, that means he understood learning styles. He understood the visual, the kinesthetic and the auditory learning styles back then. He understood it back then. He may not have called it those terms back then that we say now, but he was demonstrating that back then based on what I've read. And based on what I read about him, people of our day, you know, the people that think differently, the nonconformists, the people who buck tradition, conventions, status quo, they tended to be the people that like Jesus based on what I've read about him, not just in the Bible, but I've read non-biblical books that talk about him, as well as the biblical books and non-canonical biblical books that talk about him. And so I could not for the life of me think, why was he, you know, portrayed in such a, he's a proponent of unjust and and prejudicial treatment when it comes to just people all over the world. I I reject all that completely because I do think that um, 
because here's here's a theory that could make sense to people because he is said to live 33 years he may not have felt the need to write a book he may not have tried to be famous he may not have tried to be that kind of a public figure because there are public figures who they appreciate where they are and they don't have this urge to be all over the place but there were people who were said to have followed him and they felt differently. Maybe Jesus didn't think to write a book or publish anything because that wasn't something that he felt he needed to do. He felt like what he was already doing may have been good enough. But sometimes people that love you may want you to be at much higher plateaus than where you already are. So maybe Jesus had the intention of, you know, well, he felt that because it was normal to die young of age, so he may not have felt he had the time um, because he did so much in a short life, he may not have felt he had that time to be like, well, if I publish a book, what if I'm not around? You know, life expectancy where we are 30s old 20 is considered like middle age practically so I think that's why he didn't write a book I mean, he may not have thought that he would his name would be as big as it is now um, do I think he do I think Jesus writing publishing a book or having his own book series could have helped yeah but you gotta understand um he may not have considered what we consider. So I don't think Jesus was very big on religion. I know a lot of people are shocked by it, but I don't, it is the way he behaved. I'm like, if you're big on religion, then outcasts are not going to like you. And you're not really going to see yourself as an outcast. And people who are not what society says they're supposed to be. They're not going to get along with you. They're not going to want to talk to you. They're not going to be around you. They're not going to want to have anything to do with you. But when I read the Bible, I don't see a religious Jesus. I see that the Bible writers tried to depict him in that way, but that's not what I read. I mean, I read about a person who... He did not focus so much on his death. He focused so much on being the need that's needed, which is, yes, we live in a patriarchal culture. So I'm going to talk to women in public. And I don't care who's offended by it. I know that women are offended by men not talking to them in public I'm going to do that in this culture. I'm going to make it cool for men and women to have civilized discussions in public. Because in that culture, a man wouldn't talk to his wife in public. Jesus like, I'll talk to anybody's wife in public. I don't care how the husband feels. That was him. So it's easy for me to have read the Bible. And I'm like, some of the depictions of Jesus, I go, I don't think he said that. I don't think he did that. Um, a couple of examples, you know, the Canaanite woman story that I mentioned, you know, 
you know, the master's crumbs and eat, you know, eat from master's crumbs, not toss it to the dogs, I'm paraphrasing. Um, it's not right to take children's bread and toss it to the dogs. I don't think he said that. I don't think Jesus would put himself in a situation where he could be easily seen as a misogynist. I think the the ways the golden rule stories that feature Jesus, I think that's the real him. The other stories that easily put Jesus in a bigotry framework, I think those are all made up and conjectured by the Bible writers. Because if you're a teacher, right, you have you, that means you choose your words carefully and cautiously. You never put yourself in a situation where you can be easily seen as a hateful human being as the modern term that we say now. I think that also Jesus had doubts himself. You know, why have you forsaken me? So Jesus was a doubter. Jesus was a skeptic. So... I, I think that Jesus would have a decent time with an atheist today. I think he did so back then. Because it's easy to look at ancient times like everybody believed in God. That's not true. Atheism has been around since the beginning of time. Just like theism has been around since the beginning of time. Um, and agnosticism has been around since the beginning of time too. The ways that we think in our modern time... Yes, there's a lot of differences, but there are a lot of similarities because people have been people since the beginning of time. So I've learned that it's okay for me to disagree with the Bible writers on certain things because I go, no. And also, when Jesus talked to Canaanite woman, he didn't answer a word. I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. I don't think he said that. I don't think... Jesus was singular-minded when it came to people. I think Jesus was like, hey, I'm here for any and everybody. I'm not a one-size-fits-all type of Jesus. And it's easy to look at me that way because of the Bible. But I've learned that I can respect a person and not agree with how they're completely depicted as a person, right? And it's, when it comes to Jesus, that's how I am. I'm like, you know, the golden rule stuff about him makes sense. I accept that. This other stuff, you can't, he, that's not in, uh, and that's, that's a misalignment with international human rights policies and laws around the world. So if you're saying and doing things and it makes international human rights laws and policies pioneers upset with you, that's not the real Jesus. So some things, there are things about Jesus that I think are true because it makes sense. And when I think about a teacher, when I think about a person of kindness, when I think about a person of care, okay, I can see why he was depicted that in certain ways. Other ways that makes him an enemy of people's humanity, full humanity. Mm-mm. I'm like, nah, that was that's falsified. And some people would say, you know, 
they would talk about the second coming of Jesus rising and coming back. And I thought about that for years. And I would say, well, maybe all the things he was doing to revolutionize life in terms of how do you treat outcasts and how do you identify with the outcasts? I think that he, he may have wanted to keep his legacy going by saying, you know what, I've done enough in all my 33 years here. And maybe his legacy lives on in different ways that even the church was taught. Because the church emphasizes him coming back, but okay, what what are you doing in life? Maybe Jesus is trying to tell people, focus on the now, be a blessing now. When I say blessing, that's not religious. I'm saying blessing means be delightful as a human being now. Be delightful as a human being to outcasts now. Be delightful as a human being to people who are different than you now. Uh, be kind and respectful to yourself and others and those who are different than you now. That's what you're trying to teach people. So ancient writings, how they depict certain people when it comes to Jesus of course he didn't leave anything written behind and there are parts of the Bible that I question like especially some parts of the red books red letter books I'm like I don't think every word in the Bible is what he said some things I go yep that makes sense because that's in line with how a teacher should be that other stuff I go that makes no sense Um, I think that the Bible writers did not completely understand figurative language. So a lot of the figurative language attributed to Jesus that makes him out to be this fire and brimstone man. That was definitely the Bible writers. That wasn't Jesus. Because as a teacher, you have to teach on how life should be lived. That doesn't mean be a control freak and try to dictate to your students. Talking about the basic humanity principles. So when I think about hell, I don't think that was taught properly um, because there's no specified origins of hell. Like, okay, if you're gonna teach something, you have to teach the origins of it the histories of it. Um, You have to teach the duration of it. And I think it was a lot of speculation. Because in the Old Testament, hell is not something that's emphasized. So to have it emphasized according to the Bible writers, I'm like, I don't think Jesus would have would have not explained that discrepancy of the testaments in the book, you know, the canonical book called the Bible. So I've had to rethink Jesus so much, and I said, well, I reject 
the Bibleized depictions of Jesus, but I do not reject all the positives that go along with Jesus. You know what I mean? Like, in other words, I reject any depiction of Jesus that's offensive to the United Nations. But any of the depictions of Jesus that gladdens the hearts of the United Nations, I accept. That's how I roll. And, um... And some people would, you know, believers would go there about, what about the Messianic thing? I would say that has not been properly explained. And I think I'm I'm more than qualified to explain it. So here we go. And I will not be religious when I talk about this. I think that what Jesus was saying is that we're all here to be the answer to somebody's questions while we're here. Does that mean be an egomaniac? No. Does that mean having a bullying heart? Not that either. No. What it means is that we're all needed by somebody. That doesn't mean Okay, you have to be born horrible so I can feel that you need me, so you can feel that I need you. No, 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 no. In other words, we're all coming into the world. We're all here to delight the lives of other people. And... We all have a spectrum way, ways of doing that. Kindness is its own spectrum. So some people may need a certain person to only do what that person can do. No other person can do what that person is doing in terms of kindness. Because everyone needs diverse forms of kindness. Like some people may need the Tonio Time Daily Podcast for their lives because they feel like, well, this podcast best speaks to what I'm facing in my own life. And it's like some people, let's talk about Frederick Douglass. Frederick Douglass's writings and his governmental career, his orations and him being a trustee at Howard University, him having his own North Star newspaper, there are some people who felt like only he can best articulate and express what I'm facing in my life and his words best fit my healing necessities for my own life. That's not... We're not talking about idol worship. That's not what's happening here. Um, I think that word Messiah has been corrupted to mean that I, I just love to torment and torture people who are not fans of mine. That, you know, that's how Jesus has been depicted. I'm like, 
sometimes I think maybe we're not using the proper words regarding Jesus. And, you know, maybe there's a deeper word than Messiah that we haven't come up with yet. Maybe it could be, I'm thinking of like a wholesomeness instructor. Maybe that could be a much more profound word. Um, A wholesomeness instructor is not dependent upon you have to embrace every religious concept regarding me or you will be campfired everlastingly, right? It's easy to look at Jesus that way, but Jesus did not depend on people buying every religious concept of him to be himself to people, right? So that's why I think that Jesus has not been properly explained. Like all these traditional concepts about Jesus have not been properly explained. Okay. The hell concept, not properly explained. Heaven concept, not properly explained. Even the purgatory concept the church doesn't like has not been properly explained. It's like, I, it's like, okay, what about where, what, how these origins, right? Um, And, you know, not just the origins, but the doctrines, the dogmas, the precepts, the tenets. Um, Where, where did all these things formulate from and why, right? So I had to really think about, you know, Jesus from the standpoint of, there are things attributed to him that have not been properly explained, like, okay, who, what, when, where, why, and how, and which, in terms of all these concepts regarding Jesus. Um, so I could see why some people go, I'm just not into religion. I totally respect that. I'm not into religion either. Um, I would dare say that maybe Jesus didn't think he would come back in the way people thought. Maybe he felt like, well, I never truly left. You know, can you know what I demonstrated to you in terms of how to not allow otherism to take heat in your heart. Don't be otherism to yourself. Don't be otherism to anybody else. And just remember that I'm not otherism to you. My 33 years, I've done enough living. I'm good. You know, my legacy lives on through you. Maybe that's how you can define second coming. Maybe that's what he was trying to say. Because there are things attributed to Jesus that may have been misdefined and need to be redefined. Um, Because the concept of people who, you know, not believing as well as people are believing, that hasn't been properly explained, like, How do you, how do, you know, have, you know, church people saying there's an eternal God, but atheism exists. That hasn't been properly explained, right? Because how would a God allow people to be atheists, but but y'all say God is everywhere? That has not been properly explained. Um, and I think about things like that and I go, well, maybe there's a lot of misdefinitions that have been attributed to religion that ancient people came up with. 
because when you have limited intellect and limited knowledge, misdefinitions, mismeanings, misconnotations, misdenotations, misetymology um, is, is bound to happen. I think that's what happened to Jesus. Um, because ancient writers were writing based upon the discriminatory customs and discriminatory culture of their time, and it shows up in the canon. So, um, I think about the fact with Jesus, though, that the people that are despised of our day never questioned their sanity nor their safety when it came to him of his day. So that's why when people who are very religious, who depict Jesus as this this one-size-fits-all, all-or-nothing type of Jesus, I'm going, but why would any teacher pretend that complexities of life don't exist? Any teacher would want to teach their students about life's complexities. I'm talking about seasoned, caring teachers. And that's how Jesus is said to have been. So when I read the Bible and I don't see the word gray areas in the Bible, I don't see um, the words complexity in the Bible yet. And the reason why that is, is because ancient people did not understand those concepts to be concepts. So they wrote based upon their limited comprehension. Nowadays, we say gray areas. That wasn't a understood concept back then. It's like when Paul is said to have said, when I want to do good, evil's right there with me. Paul was admitting the gray areas of his life. He may not have known they were the great areas of his life. So he was subconsciously admitting what we consciously admit. He was subconsciously trying to understand what we subconsciously really understand. So that's why when people want to say, you know, the Bible is God's word, I say, well, the good parts of it, if you want to call it divine parts, you can. You know, divine doesn't mean um, religious right or anything like that. It could, because some people see, well, divine means um, good character. So that's how some people define it. That's how I would. And some people say, well, the good parts of the Bible are divine parts. And the other parts of the Bible were inhumane parts. That's not of God. And some people question why would God allow that. I've asked that question too. I'm asking the same question too. Um, I'm with you on that, you know, in terms of the question. And I would say that maybe God has been misdefined by ancient people too. Because I think... You know, God, okay, 
I discovered there's no such thing as absolute certainty with God because human beings are not all-knowing. So, because we understand that, we can't have absolute certainty. Absolute certainty means all-knowing, and nobody has that. So that means that there really can't be absolute truths with God because we don't know all truths consciously. Um, Even our subconsciousness has a limited capacity for truth because our brains don't have all of the capacity to comprehend everything. Comprehending everything means you're able to comprehend all truths and we don't. So absolute truth means I have absolute certainty about each and every truth of life. And I know I don't because there's certain things that I'm not able to process. That doesn't make me stupid. That doesn't make me crazy. It just makes me human. It doesn't make me lazy. It means that my finiteness is not offensive to me. And the, uh, the finiteness of other people does not offend me either. And then um, I figured out that maybe... God could be more of a question than an answer because um, according according to a Bible verse, and I'm not being religious here, I'm just making sense. um, Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 18 says, For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. So, Here's how I want to respond to this. Um, That has caused a lot of people of religion and outside of religion to be willfully ignorant and to not know what they should already know what they're supposed to know because they equate awareness with melancholy. They equate... vision with distress and that's not what's supposed to happen that's why I think that the Bible writers their writings don't do a good job of clarifying what they mean it's just stuff they put on paper but there's no learning style respect to what they wrote. It's like you put something out there, but it's just a a jungle of confusion. And that's what I think happened. So another so what I want to say is 
A lot of religious people are taught, the more I know about God, the more I'm grieving God. Right? And that's that's a trauma complex in and of itself. So, there are things we should know and things we shouldn't know. Like, we should know good manners. We should never know our parents' sex life. There you go. And... I'll also say this. The more we know, the more we realize we don't know. That truth can be said about God. The more we think we know about God, the more we realize what the more we don't know about God. So I started thinking maybe there should be no such thing as beliefs when it comes to what humans say all knowing God. Humans don't say all believe in God, so shouldn't we have, shouldn't it be called knowledges when you're talking about humans saying all-knowing God? We don't have, why? There's no, they don't say we should have beliefs when it comes to what humans say in all-believing God. So when we when people say they're believers, are could they be admitting that they don't know God and believing in God's where they have settled? And I just go, hmm, that's that's not what I I want. I I, I want to move past belief because belief means I'm not fully confident in my convictions. That's that's a trauma complex for me to just go, well, I'm going to pretend to have convictions, but I'm not 100% in awe and in loving my convictions. Like, ugh, you know, I want to know. If I know, I have full confidence in my convictions. So I have read the Bible when I really discovered That I think that the portraits of religious figures and non-religious figures in the Bible and religious events and non-religious events in the Bible were all uh, poorly constructed um, because you're dealing with ancient brain chemistry. And it was deeply uh, corrupted by the the ritualism of their time. Yes, there were plenty of bright people back then. You had inventors, scientists, mathematicians back then. But even they did not have the wisdom we have now. Just like people, let's say life goes on for 2,000 more years, we would be considered limited in our um, understandings. They would look at us and go, y'all not much different than BC era first century people. 
we are way more enlightened than y'all and the cycle continues generationally throughout the centuries I can't imagine Jesus being someone who violates people's human rights in the afterlife and I can't imagine Jesus being someone who violates people's human rights in this life. I I just can't for the life of me imagine Jesus in such ways. Um I mean maybe Jesus exists. You know, should there be would it have been nice to have overwhelming evidence in terms of most scientists and scholars saying it? Yeah. Most of them believe he existed. You know, what does it mean for him to exist? That has been poorly defined. But there's not a lot of evidence that says he did, so... That's a concern because it would have been nice for him to have leave behind evidence that is both irrefutable and indisputable. That would have been nice. But maybe Jesus did not think of archaeology like that. Maybe he did not even think of biology like that. I don't fully understand what he was thinking. So when people say, when some people say it didn't exist, I understand why they said that because it's like, well, it's not like there's a ginormous paper trail, you know, but, you know, um, Pilot is said to have existed because there's, they found, an, an archaeologist found, you know, I'm not sure if it was called excavation, but they found an inscription that pointed to his existence, so... You know, I just, um, you know, my heart has, um, My heart has just been truly changed in a lot of ways because I allowed myself to understand that love is not something I believe in because love does exist. There's overwhelming evidence that love exists. I do acknowledge that there are parts of the Bible that are filled with awful grammar, awful syntax, awful morphology, awful structures, awful syntactic structures, awful sentence structures, awful language patterns, awful sentence patterns, awful generative grammars, a warped sense of linguistic science, uh, awful strategy. 
pontificational grammar, awful transformational grammar, awful universal grammar, awful tag mimics, awful synthetic grammar, awful inflectional grammar, awful analytic grammar, awful traditional grammar, awful structural linguistics, awful tenses, awful moods, awful voices, awful persons, awful numbers, awful words, awful phrases, awful clauses, awful aspects, awful cases, awful modifications, awful incorporations, awful inflections, awful concords, awful agreements, awful sentences, awful nexuses, awful coordination, awful subordination, awful structures, awful phrase structures, awful awful phonemes, awful phonemics, awful strings, awful headwords, awful morphemes, and awful transforms. And I, my, and, um, as a, well, my statement to believers in the form of a question would be, it sh- don't you think you should know God and not believe in God? Um, I do acknowledge that how Jesus was Jesus was badly outlined in the Bible, badly sketched in the Bible, badly traced in the Bible, badly portrayed in the Bible, badly drawn in the Bible, badly seen in the Bible, badly limbed in the Bible, badly depicted in the Bible badly descriptive in the Bible, badly visible in the Bible, badly pictorial in the Bible, badly illustrated in the Bible, badly engraved in the Bible, badly pictured in the Bible, badly painted in the Bible, badly etched in the Bible, badly chiseled in the Bible, badly penciled in the Bible, badly printed in the Bible, um, badly forcible in the Bible, badly vivid in the Bible, badly telling in the Bible, badly picturesque in the Bible, badly... Um, Badly striking the Bible, badly explicit in the Bible, um, a warped sense of intelligible is how Jesus is shown in the Bible. Uh, not completely comprehensible in the Bible, Jesus is. Yeah, Jesus is not completely comprehensible in the Bible. Jesus is not fully clear in the Bible. He's not fully distinct, fully defined fully definite, fully precise, fully eloquent, fully moving, fully stirring in the Bible because of the Bible writers actually making him out to be badly moving and badly stirring the Bible in terms of certain parts of the Bible. Um, You know, In the Bible, Jesus is obscure, ambiguous, and abstract. Um, Not fully poetic, not fully, you know. And, you know, not fully concrete in the Bible. Um, A warped sense of strong and energetic, how they make him out to be in the Bible. 
and the expressive parts, some of it is concerning. So I'm not saying that Jesus is was completely misrepresented in the Bible. I'm talking about there are parts of the Bible where um, he wasn't... Um, he wasn't depicted well by the Bible writers in certain parts of the Bible is what I'm saying. Um, so those are just the rest of my thoughts on um, religion. And uh, I'll briefly mention what happened to me in organized crime. So there were times where I would talk to women... Um, I didn't like yelling at women across the street, but sometimes women would yell at me across the street. Not in a mean way, but in a, you're so cool. Hey, Anton, how you doing? So we would, sometimes they would come over to me where I was on the side of the street. Most of the time I would come over to them on the side of the street because I'm, I would like, well, I'm not a big yeller um, across the street, but they would still do it anyway. They're like, well, we, we want people to know how awesome you are. So that happened in the organized crime world. Sometimes we would yell at each other. Well, we would yell to each other across the street, not at each other in a bad way, but in a, hey, hey. We would have conversations across the street, and we would sometimes come over to each other um, in in a neutral location. That happens sometimes. And we would wave or greet each other across the street and then have a full-length conversation across the street. Sometimes they're so busy, we'd have a, you know, small talk, and then they had to go. And other time, eventually they'll say, you know what, we're not going to do small talking. Every time I see you, we're going to talk. That means I'm late to such and such. You're just going to have to deal with it. And that's how it was. And uh, I remember... Um, Being in the organized crime world and uh, when it came to women, we would see each other and hold each other's hands and lock arms with each other while walking across the street. Sometimes we would yell it to each other. If I I was about to fall into a puddle or they're about to fall into a puddle, we would yell at each other. No, no, yell to each other. Yeah, there we go. Yell to each other. And that's how we help each other not get um hurt um and we that's how we kept each other from falling or if there were some predatory persons we would yell to each other and that's what would cause the predatory persons not have a chance to harm us because we would sometimes run over to each other grab each other and run for safety away I remember that happening quite often, um, quite often in the beginning. Then it happened in 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 patches. So, um, I would say that. Um, In the organized crime world,
that there was I can honestly say this of all the people that I cried with I cried with women the most I was weeping with women the most I was sobbing with women the most I was wailing with women the most I was shedding tears with women the most I was sniveling with women the most I was sniffling with women the most I was squalling with women the most I was lamenting with women the most. I was mourning with women the most. I was bewailing with women the most. I was bemoaning with women the most. I was moaning with women in terms of weeping the most. I was howling with women the most. I was keening with women the most. I was whimpering with women the most. I was whining with women the most. W-H-I-N-E. I was weeping over with women the most. I was complaining with women the most. I was so- I experienced sorrow with women the most. I experienced deplore, hating the bad parts of life the most. I was grieving with women the most. I was fretting with women the most. I was groaning with women the most in terms of weeping with women the most. I was bursting into tears with women the most. I was choked up with women the most. I was crying my eyes out with women the most. I was breaking down with women the most. I was breaking up with women the most in terms of tears. I was blubbering with women the most. I was bawling with women the most. I was, um, that's what happened because there are times we were tortured and tormented individually. Most of the time we were tortured and tormented um, collectively in terms of physical violence, sexual violence. And we did our best to physically protect each other. There were women who... This would, These were usually civilians um, that these things would happen with. And... Um, We would fight for each other at the same time. And I am going to fight for you. You fight for me. That's how we were. So we would fight off. We would fight and physically destroy sexually violent monsters and physically violent monsters together. There are times where they they were so many of them, they would overpower us. But we would profess our love for each other in a compassionate way while we were saying, hey, we're going to hurt, we're going to hurt together, we're going to heal together. And that's what we would say. Um, And that's how we truly felt. And... um, As a... We never betrayed each other. Um, when it came to like the women criminals, I can honestly say that they had a warped sense of being 
merciful to me. They had a warped sense of being kindly compassionate towards me as well. Because I remember the women criminals were the most malevolent, the most inhumanity. Um, in the sense that their version of fighting for a person or pers- persons fighting for them and people fighting with each other for each other it was all about um, protecting their Illegally lucrative criminalistic empires. And to make it look like they're not completely repugnant persons. And um, I'm definitely going to um, say that the women had the women criminals had the most physically imposing looks, the most physically imposing voices, the most physically imposing socially offensive language, and. They had the most physically imposing um, aura about themselves. Even their height and their weight was physically imposing. Because of how they, their reputations, how they carried themselves. They were, they were, they tended to be physically strong. And um, powerfully built. Um, even though they look like average height women, average weight women, not to disrespect women in terms of looks, I'm sensitive to that as a gentleman that I am. I know I am. But, yeah, based on their reputations, everything about them was powerfully physically built. Um, and I confessed to them that I was scared of them. I just said, hey... I I I fear you. Um, I don't I don't like fearing you, but I, I I do. You know how, you know how you're known in the streets. I can't help myself. And it was always interesting that they would say, they would they would look at me in a seemingly compassionate look, and they would just hug me like. They would talk about how we're a we're a team and we're a family. I know it's psychological, emotional, and intellectual and all kinds of manipulations. I get all that. But they would say that and for some reason I would feel like it was smoothed over for that moment. And they would just say, you know, hey, let they would say, well, 
I, I don't act tough and hard when it comes to you because they would tell me that they loved me. I think that was the way of trying to convince me not to be scared of them. I still had that fear. I just hit it very well. You know, at the time, I felt like there was no full proof of their quote-unquote love, no full evidence of their quote-unquote love, no full facts of their quote-unquote love, no full attestation, full cooperation, full substantiation, full confirmation, full verification, and full demonstration, full disposition, full witness, full criterion of their quote-unquote love for me at that time. And I still feel that way to this very day. And I remember that they would, um, you know, they reassure me, in quotations, reassure me that, um, we're never going to argue, have an argument, or yell, and cuss each other, name, call. Um, that's what they would say to me at the time. And we never had any kind of disagreement or any kind of arguing or yelling or cussing or name calling at each other ever. And I told them I was sensitive to that, you know, as a gentleman, I sensitive to that because the women and the... Uh, they appreciated it. At first, they, like a lot of women at the time, they weren't used to being called ma'am or anything kind, or they weren't used to, you know, gentleman conduct, you know, of Southern hospitality, as it's called. They weren't used to it, and so they felt like they are being disrespected. And I reassured them, uh, no, this is... You know, this is me going above and beyond to show you respect. And when they kept seeing that this is just naturally who Antonio is, they're like, you know, hey, he's trying to respect us. He's showing us respect. I was just not fuck with him for it. And other women at first were, felt like, is he disrespecting me? And other women said, no, 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 no. Actually, what he's doing is a good thing. And uh, those women had to be convinced, you know, don't bother Antonio and... You know, and just understand that he's being kind to you for all the right reasons. And so those women actually started appreciating that. There are a lot of women civilians who felt these ways and women criminals who felt these ways. And eventually they're like, well, hey, you know, he's teaching other men how to treat us. So that was true. Other men started adopting my gentleman manliness behavior because I was making it cool to do it for all the right reasons. And women would teach other women how to appreciate a gentleman being a gentleman for all the right reasons, too. That happened when it came to the women civilians and women criminals.
And by the way, civilian means, in this case, a person doesn't have a criminal record. And I'm now going to um, finish this episode with sex. Before I get to sex, I know, I just remembered that in the organized crime world I was in, when it came to women, we experienced the most happiness, the most mirth, the most merrymaking, the most cheer, the most merriment, the most joyousness, the most vivacity, the most laughter, the most delight, the most gladness, the most good spirits, the most hilarity, the most playfulness, the most exuberance, the most gaiety, the most cheerfulness, the most goodwill, the most rejoicing, the most exhilaration, the most glee, the most geniality, the most good cheer, the most lightheartedness, the most joy, the most pleasure, the most contentment. Of course, we're talking about this internally, internalness, or internality. Even though it, we couldn't fully have a good time or fully have a bad time together. We couldn't have a fully good time together. We fully, fully couldn't have a good time together either. Or fully have a good, bad time together. It's just, whoo, that's just what I'm remembering. So, um, now we can get to the sex. When it comes to sex, my sex partners off camera, which will also happen on camera, there's mutually high esteem, mutually high regard, uh, mutually high opinion, mutually high acclaim, mutually high admiration, mutually high adoration, mutually high approbation, mutually high approval, Mutually high appreciation, mutually high estimation, mutually high favor, mutually high popularity, mutually high recognition, mutually high veneration, mutually high awe, mutually high reverence, mutually high deference, mutually high honor, mutually high praise, mutually high high homage. Um, And we have a high regard for each other's feelings, wishes, rights, abilities, qualities, achievements, and habits of one another. When it comes to each other, there's mutually high due regard, mutually high consideration, mutually high thoughtfulness, mutually high attentiveness, mutually high politeness, mutually high courtesy, Mutually high civility, mutually high deference, no disrespect at all, and no contempt at all. Because there's mutually high respect. And when it comes to each other, we adulate, we treasure, set great store by, cherish each other applaud each other in hero worship each other's bodies hearts minds 
memories and souls.